growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. If Jesus is right, if Jesus is correct in saying that He is the only way to access eternity and everlasting life, then being able to answer the question, am I a follower of Jesus Christ, becomes very, very important. Truth. It's been a common theme as we've made our way through the book of 1 John. Well, today, Pastor Clay is taking us to the books of 2nd and 3rd John, where we find that the topic of truth is still front and center. The fact that John keeps saying this over and over and over again must mean that it is of paramount importance that we get this in our heads and in our hearts, where we understand the importance of God's truth, because knowing and understanding the truth is the key to everything in your life. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. It's hard to believe, but today marks the end of the Am I series here at Cross Culture Church. A lot of people struggle with where they are as far as their relationship with God. And this series through the New Testament books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John has been designed to help us all understand what it actually takes to have a relationship with God and what the expectations are for a person who professes to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. If I know what a follower of Jesus Christ looks like, then I should be able to answer the question, am I a follower of Jesus Christ? In today's closing message, Pastor Clay walks us through both 2nd and 3rd John, where we find a great deal of similarities between them and the book of 1st John. Most notably, the connection in all three books with the importance of truth. Now here's Pastor Clay with today's message. We have been working our way through this uh, series, and we come today to 2nd and 3rd uh, John. We've, been work- we've spent a significant amount of time in 1st John, and now we're making our way into 2nd and 3rd John. And a- as I think that you will see, covering 2nd and 3rd John at the same time is really not that big of a stretch. Uh, for one thing, they're not very long. Uh, they-, they are the length of what a standard piece of papyrus, the, the, the typical writing material used in that day. They're the length of what a typical letter would have been. So they're not very long, but also I think, as you will see, the, the themes of Second John and of Third John are pretty much the same as the theme of First John. All of them are connected or have been part of this series that we have been doing entitled the Am I Series. That's the series that we've been doing based on the content of First and today Second and Third John. Those three books, if you've been with us at all in this study, it should be fairly clear that, that at least obviously the first book that we've covered, is that the, the content is, keeps pointing us in the same direction. It's, it's moving us towards the, the same opportunity to, to answer this, this same question about whether we're followers of Jesus Christ. It's, it's this same material that keeps providing this information that, that shows us, hopefully teaches us, what a follower of Jesus Christ looks like. And if I understand, if I know what a follower of Jesus Christ looks like, then I should be able to answer the question, am I a follower of Jesus Christ? I should be able to answer that question. Am I a follower of Jesus Christ? Obviously... The importance of that question cannot be overstated. Would you agree? 
Obviously, knowing whether I am a follower of Jesus cannot be overstated because Jesus himself said, John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So if Jesus is right, if Jesus is correct in saying that he is the only way to access eternity and and, uh, everlasting life, then being able to answer the question, am I a follower of Jesus Christ, becomes very, very important. Because one of the things that should have come clear in 1 John, and as I think will come clear in 2 and 3 John as well, is that talk is cheap. That it is our actions that reveal what we actually truly believe. Okay? So, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to I'm going to start this out by giving you a BP squared for 2nd and 3rd John. Just as we finish up this series, a big picture biblical principle, a, a kind of overarching principle or idea. Now, th- this is not actually a theological statement the way I put it, but, uh, but you get it. The BP squared, the big picture biblical principle is this, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Now, if you hear that and you say, well, I was here last week, and that sounds a lot like last week. I know, I know, I know. And I also know that I have said this before, but the fact that John keeps saying this over and over and over again must mean that it is of paramount importance that we get this, watch this, that we get this in our heads and in our hearts. We have to come to this realization. We have to come to the point where we understand the importance of God's truth because knowing and understanding the truth is the key to everything in your life. Let me say that again. Knowing and understanding the truth is the key to everything in your life. So, for instance, if you want to have a life, live a life on a daily basis, and I I know we don't always slow down or back up and, and think of it in these terms. Maybe sometimes in the contemplative moments of our life we do or or maybe sometimes laying in bed at night, we can't sleep. Maybe sometimes these thoughts, and most times we're just so busy in life we don't even slow down to think about this. But if you want to live a life that, that you truly can say, you know what, when I stop and think about it, I, I really am content in my life. I, I really have joy in my life. I really have peace in my life. If you want to have, live a life where you actually look forward to getting up out of bed every morning, and I realized on mornings like today when it's so cold, it's hard. But if you want to live a life where you actually said, man, I, I, can't, I can't wait to start the day today then obviously it becomes of vital importance that you know the truth about how to have a life like that. If you want, if you want a marriage that is rewarding and fulfilling both physically and spiritually, then you have to know the truth about how a marriage like that comes into being because it doesn't come into being by just anybody that's married or been married. Can I get an amen? It doesn't. Newsflash for those of y'all that are going to get married someday. It doesn't just happen because, well, we, we just really love each other. We'll talk about that some. 
If you want to have a life where you are set free from from fear or doubt or anxiety or whatever all the uh, whatever it is that you might want to be set free from, then it's important that you know the truth about how to be set free from whatever it is you want to be set free from. You understand what I'm saying? Knowing and understanding the truth is the key to everything in your life. So, I'm going to give you a little bit of background to Second John, and then I'm going to read that letter to you. And then I'm going to give you a little bit of background for Third John, and then I'm going to read that letter to you. And then, hopefully, I'm going to give you a little bit of application from both of them. Okay? All right. Second, what, one of the things that you'll see is that both Second and Third John have they have more of the more of a feeling of a letter to them than perhaps First John because of the length of 1 John, and it's not real long, it's five chapters, but because it's a little bit longer, it can almost take on the feel of a, a document or a treatise or, or something like that. Second and Third John both have more of a feel of a letter. Second John, as we'll read in just a moment, is addressed to the chosen lady and her children, which could be a reference to an actual lady that lived then at that time, and her children. Or it could be John's way of kind of poetically, or even uh, as to, to veil the fact that he's writing to a, an actual local church, a local body of believers that he is well acquainted with and they are well acquainted with him. Excuse me. <coughs> it's been building up. It, it doesn't really matter which, which it is, whether he's actually writing to a specific woman, a lady, and her children, or whether this is kind of just a way of saying that, that I'm writing to a, a local church. It really doesn't affect the interpretation. Uh, my, my bent is, is that it's, it probably is a local church that he's, he's writing to. Whether he's trying to veil it, hide it for security purposes, I don't know. Or whether it's just a, just a poetic way of saying to, to the chosen lady and her children. But as I said, it doesn't affect the application at all. Okay? Second John. If you have a Bible with you, hopefully you've opened to it. It's going to be up on the screen as well. <coughs> Can I get a drink of coffee, y'all? Is that all right, sir? <coughs> That's good. All right, here we go. Second John. With me, with me, whole book of the Bible. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. For the sake of the truth, which abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves 
that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full. And the children of your chosen sister greet you. And with that, we complete Second John. If you have been through much of the study and the walk through First John, it may be apparent to you that Second John is basically a condensed version of First John, that the same topics or issues that John brings up in his first letter come up in this second letter, these issues of truth and love and obedience. You guys could name these off if you've been in the series just as much or even what we just read. Truth and love and obedience, the warning in there about, about false teachers and, and false doctrine that was trying to creep into the, the church, right? You can see those things in the letter, just like they were in First John, just like they're here in Second John, basically a condensed version of the first letter. Third John, Third John, as you will see in just a moment, is addressed to the beloved Gaius. Who this Gaius is, we can't know for sure. There is a Gaius mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and Romans chapter 16. Is it the same Gaius? I tend to think yes, but there's no way to know for sure. And just like Second John, knowing exactly who it was addressed to in this particular case, does not affect the interpretation of the text. Okay? Third John. <clears throat> the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified uh, to your truth. That is how you're walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. And they have testified to your love before the church, and you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself, and we add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. 
I had many things to write to you, but I'm not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we will speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. And with that, we've read two entire books of the Bible this morning. And I think you can see some similarities between them. Again, in Third John, just like in Second John, basically a condensed version of First John. This emphasis on truth, this emphasis on walking or being obedient to the truth, this emphasis on love. Did you see them in there? I'm, I'm, y'all understand? Are y'all with me? I'm not making this up. You see that in there? The, really only the exception that you might say or the thing that was a little different is this, when he gets into this thing about Diotrephes and, and then the commendation of Demetrius. And hopefully I'll deal with a little bit of that uh, at the end. But other than that, the, the letters are virtually the same. Which, can I say this? You, you, we really should expect, since they were written by the same author at roughly the same time, writing under the inspiration of the same Holy Spirit, and so it shouldn't be surprising to us that this is, this is big for John at this time in the life of the church and, and has, has been ever since. This, this need for truth, knowing truth, and then, and then walking in this truth, living out this truth. As I said, the BP squared again, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's what this is all about. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So... What we're finding coming through in, in these <clears throat> emphases here is this idea that truth is vitally important for our lives. Okay, here we go. Now let's make a little application for this truth. All right, Clay, hey, truth, truth, we got it, we got it. All right, here we go. Truth, walk in it. it, it just to kind of summarize or head up uh, the, these things that he's emphasizing in here, let's start with this one. Truth, walk in it. Let's uh, look at uh, uh, verse 4 and then, uh, and then of Second John. It says, I was very glad to find some of your children, what does it say? Say it. Walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. So, you know, th- th- this, is, this is not me, John, saying, saying this. This, this is, comes from the Father. This is the expectation that we walk in this truth. And then in Third John... Verses 3 and 4, for I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. That is how you're, say it, walking in truth. And then verse 4, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in truth. Can I just take a moment of personal privilege here to say that perhaps no passage of Scripture in all the Bible is more personal to me than this than this passage right here where John says, I have no greater joy than to hear of my children, meaning his spiritual children, walking in the truth. I can testify to you that that is the absolute desire of my heart and my life. That, that is what I live for. That is what I get out of bed for in the morning is to see uh, God's children who he is, he is, for some insane reason that I can't understand, given me uh, an opportunity to, to, to teach truth to it gives me no greater joy than to see you all having victory in your life, to see you walking in the truth, to see marriages uh, whole and healthy, to see lives delivered from from attacks and from temptations and all those kind of things, to see families uh, living in the reality of of who Jesus Christ is and all that he has for us. It, It brings me no greater joy in my life 
than to see that. I, I, just, I just have to tell you that. So, John, in the second letter and his third letter, is emphasizing this reality uh, that we need to walk in this truth. We need to know this truth. We don't need to just know the truth. We don't just need to learn this truth. We need to live this truth out in our life. It has to be a reality for us. Now, in 1 John, you, you could say this. In 1 John, and I'll bring it up on the screen, walking in the truth is the evidence of a relationship with Jesus Christ. He, and he kept saying that several times in that first letter, that this is how you can know. Remember, he kept saying, this is how you can know. This is how you can know that, that you're in this right relationship with God. So in many respects, you could say in 1 John, although he wouldn't necessarily put it as walking, he would say obedience to the truth. I think it's probably more how he put it in his first letter. But in 1 John... Uh, walking in the truth is the evidence of a relationship with Jesus Christ. In Second and Third John, what we find is that walking in the truth is the application of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not that one over the other, but that the two of them that we see in Second and Third John, even more this idea that walking in truth is the application of a relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, knowing that I'm in right relationship with God. Obviously, we looked at John fourteen six a moment ago. Obviously, it's vitally important for, for eternity and, and, and heaven and, and the promise of, of going there someday, right? Obviously, it's vitally important that we, have, that we know this truth. And if we know this truth, we walk in this truth, and that's the evidence that we have this relationship with him. And if I have this relationship with him, then I know that someday, whenever that day is, I'll spend eternity with him. And so one day, my heart will beat its last beat. I will take my last breath and I will step across the threshold of death. In that instant, I know that I will step into eternity and will experience the the presence and the reality of heaven from from then on for all of eternity. From all for all of eternity. Yeah, that's a that's a great place to amen. How, how does how does the old some of us, some of us older people? How does the old hymn go? Y'all y'all remember, y'all remember this hymn? What a day that will be. When my Jesus I will see, when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, what? Then he'll take me by the hand and lead me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Right? Did y'all know that song? Do y'all know that song? Y'all don't know that song? My wife knows that song. Verse 2. One more done. Right? It's It's a fantastic, what a glorious day. And what a a fantastic promise that I know, man. Whenever it comes, whatever's going to happen to me, whenever this life comes to an end, I know, I know exactly where I'm going. I have that promise. But listen, hey, I'm not about to wait until then to experience the power of God in my life. Uh, yes, someday I'll be in his, in, literally in his presence. I know he's in our presence now, but I, I can't see him. Can y'all? I can't. But someday I, I will and I'll be in his presence. But I'm not about to wait until then to experience his power in my life. No, no, no. This, this idea of truth and walking in the truth is the application. It's the opportunity for this application in my life. God's God's truth, I think I said a moment ago, is not just knowledge I learn, it's knowledge I live. It comes out of my life. It's, 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 I can walk in it. I can experience it in my life. 
I can have victory over this struggle or that temptation or, or this issue or, or that problem at work or, or this or that. Regardless of how the circumstances may go, I can, I can walk in the reality of, the, of, his, of his presence because of this truth that I know and that I can apply, which is what he's saying. I'm walking in this truth. I'm applying this truth to my life in the everyday events of my life. John chapter uh, 8 Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not, watch this, will not walk in the darkness. And we know in Scripture there's always this comparison. Light is is compared to to God and and his path and all that stuff. And darkness is is always a picture of of evil and unbelief and and all that kind of stuff, right? He has, has saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Ephesians uh, chapter 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we should what? Walk in them. This is my life. This, I'm walking in this truth that I've, that I've gained from him, this, this truth of who he is and what he has done for me and what's been made possible uh, for me. Colossians chapter 3, um, starting in verse 5. So, Put to death the sinful. What's these, what's these actions here? So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Anybody have any of them earthly things lurking within you? Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. It's com- the wrath of God is coming upon sin. You used to do these things, watch this, when your, your life was still part of this world. You used to live that way, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like him. Walk like him. Do you understand what he's saying? This transformation has taken place in your life. So you, you, that's, not, that's not the life. Now that you know, now you walk in it. And then one more, just First Timothy uh, 1 Timothy 1.9. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life, to, for a life that's different. So I'm walking in this truth. Truth, walk in it in my life. Can I tell you this? If a person doesn't believe that God's truth is the truth, they will eventually walk away from it. I've seen it time and time again. They will eventually walk away from it. But if you really believe that this is true, if you really believe that God's word is what it is and, and God is who it says God is and he has done what, he, what it says he has done, if you really believe that, then, then John and First John and Second John and Third John and, and pretty much all the rest of the Bible for that matter sa- says in one way or the other, says, hey, walk in it. If you really, if you really believe this is truth, then live it. Walk in it. Okay, uh, second idea real quick this morning. Truth, love through it. Walk in it, love through it. That clearly is one of the emphasis of both second and third John. Let's look at verses five and six of second John. Now, I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, 
but the one which we have had from the beginning. That we, say it. Lo, say it, say it loud. It wasn't was very convicting. Love one another. Love one another. And this is love. So it's like, let me define it, just in case you're curious. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. And then Third John, verses 1 and 2, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. And then I think over in uh, verse 5 and 6, yeah. Beloved, you're acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they're strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church, and you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Love. That, that, that's a part of truth. You've got you to gotta love through it, through truth. Notice back there in Second John, the emphasis on on loving, in this comparison you make between love and this commandment to, to walk in it. In other words, the world, meaning everything outside of, of a relationship with Jesus Christ, the secular world, the, the world has a definition for love. Can we agree on that? The world has a way of defining love. The world has a way of saying this is what love is. The world has a way of defining what the limits of love are or how love should act. And John says, hey, listen, now, now that you've experienced the love of God in your life, the way you define love has to change. Now love has to be defined the way God defines it. It has to be defined the way God defines it. And we've covered this before, but just to bring it out one more time, you can define it like this. God's love is sacrificial for you and beneficial for others. In a nutshell, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. God's love is sacrificial for you most, most times and beneficial for others. That's, that's just the way it works. It's going, to, it's going to affect, impact other people's lives as a result of it. Uh, John uh, commends Gaius because word's gotten back to him that missionaries who have been going out and, and in the, for the sake of the name, is, I think is how he put it, they, they've been coming back through and they've been reporting to churches. They're like, man, Gaius, that dude is, he is stepping up. He is going above and beyond. And listen, I have no doubt that it was sacrificial for Gaius to, to, to invest in this thing, to make this a, a, a part of his life. But it was beneficial for us. It was beneficial for the kingdom of God. How does probably the most famous Bible verse in all the Bible go? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Love was something that cost God his very life because his love was so great for us that he would sacrifice his life that you and I might clearly benefit from it, right? That's what biblical love is. It's sacrificial for you oftentimes in your life, and it is, right? But it's beneficial for others. Look at it in uh, verses uh, 6 through 8. Let me read again. They have testified to your love before the church. You'll do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Meaning not, they, they didn't 
they didn't ask the non-believers to help support them on, on their way. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with them in the truth. So there's actually even a benefit to our loving in this way. Yes, it may be sacrificial in this life, but we're actually gaining profit from it because we're participating in this work. Even, even though all of us aren't getting on that plane this week with Liz and flying to Moscow, it's a perfect example. We actually, because of love, have the opportunity to participate in that ministry as it goes to the other side of the world to share the message of Christ with, with children of all different ages, with their families. That's, that's what love does. It sacrifices, but it's beneficial for the other. Watch this. Um, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. I think we already defined how God loves us, right? New commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved, or and in the same way that I have loved you, that you love one another. John 13, 35. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have what? Love for one another. He's talking to the believers. He says, this is how people will know that you are my disciples, in the way that you interact and love each other. In Christian marriages, sure, but even the body collectively itself and how we're there for each other and meet each other's needs or try to meet each other's needs and, and loving on each other and that sort of thing. He says, this is how you're going to know, this is how the world will know that you really are uh, my follower. Uh, John uh, chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Uh, John uh, 15. Uh, 17, I think it is, uh, 15, 17. This I command you, that you love one another. Why does John keep saying the same thing over and over and over again? Why does he, do you, do you see a pattern here? Why does he keep saying the same thing over and over again? Because probably nothing is harder for us to do than to love the way God loves us. Let's be honest, Right? Right? It is hard to love sacrificially for the benefit of another when we don't see much benefit coming our way out of it. Right? It's hard to do that sort of thing. And yet that's what we're called to do, to love in that way, (laughs) in a sacrificial way, in a way that costs us something, but others benefit as a result of it. It's not easy. Listen, I know you know this. The world loves based on how it is loved, right? Sure, I'll love my wife as long as she does what I want, fixes what I want, meets my needs, that sort of thing. Some of you experience this. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Because if that, right? That's how the world loves. As long as it's a quid Pro quo, if, it's, if they do this, then I do that. Or, yeah, I'll love until, until this happens or that happens. Or it's a, or it's a you, know, you know what I'm saying? And the problem with loving that way is, does anybody know anybody that loves everybody like that all the time? Does anybody know anybody that gets it right all the time? No. No. So when it, when it goes wrong, and it will when, when your spouse or your friend or your brother and sister in Christ or your whatever, when they 
do something to you or treat you in a certain way that's not very loving because maybe they've had a bad day or maybe they've just made a mistake or maybe they've uh, maybe something happened that hurt their feelings and so they're right can you love then or or when or when you're feeling hurt because you didn't get your way you wanted this and, and that didn't go your way and so you don't feel very loving toward him you understand what he's saying here he says listen if that is the if that is the standard by which you love, then it will, love will disappear faster than suntan lotion on a nudist beach. I, it, I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know. It will go fast. But if the love is love as God defined it, then it knows no limit. It has no expiration to it. It will extend grace whether the person deserves it or not, and I usually don't, it will forgive, it will forget, it will continue to love, continue to love, continue to love. And I just say this, because I've heard this, but you just don't understand my situation. And I don't, I'm sure I don't, but God does. And he's the one that's saying, a new commandment I give you, that you love as I have loved you. Even so, should you love each other in that same way. And can I tell you this? I, you hear about some of these stories, right, of great sacrifice as an expression of love. Russell Hills told me uh, a number of stories about, about in the military and the sacrifice that, that fellow soldiers will make for each other and, and that sort of thing, and that's, that's, that's amazing. But can I tell you this? Nowhere, nowhere should this definition of love be more exhibited, be more on display, be more in practice than within the body of Christ. The body uh, corporately, as, as, as John is addressing it in Second John, and the body individually as he's, as he's addressing it in Third John. That all of us should be part of this expressing love toward each other that overlooks our down, com- down shortcomings and downfalls and all those things that allow us to continue to love even when it costs us because it's going to benefit others. That's love. Now, real quickly, I want to say a couple things about love from the passages that could be uh, a little uh, confusing to understand. Uh, let me read it in verses uh, 9 and following of Second John. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. That doesn't sound very loving. I think Travis and I had this discussion a while back because of uh, some Mormon Jehovah's Witnesses that came to his door and he engaged in a conversation with them. We were talking about this passage here in Second uh, John because it kind of sounds like that we ought to uh, tell them off and then slam the door in their face. Listen, John is not uh, telling us to be rude to someone that does not agree or have the same beliefs as we do, whether it's Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or Muslim or, or Jew or atheist or whatever. He's not telling us to be rude or slam the door in their face. As I understand it, in Jewish culture, especially particularly back then, it was customary that, that when, you, when people traveled, and that people traveled everywhere. They traveled by walking. That's how they, they did. Or maybe they rode a donkey, but they, but they traveled. And when they traveled, it, 
to take, you know, if you're, if you're walking or if you're going by donkey, it, it can take a while to, to go some distance. And so they would have to stop. But it was customary in the Jewish culture when a stranger came through town, if a stranger came to your door, that you were to take them in, that you were to feed them a meal, that you were to give them a place to sleep. And the next day when they, when they left out, you might give them some money or some food to head them out on their way to con- for them to be able to continue on their journey. And it was also customary to give them some type of greeting as they went out. At the very least, you would think in Jewish culture, it would have been something like shalom, peace, or uh, shalom alechem, peace be upon you. Which, f- from a Jewish perspective, was essentially saying, man, I'm praying that the God of peace blesses you as you go out. And John says, if the traveler who comes to your door is coming to your door because he's taking a message that is unbiblical, that is ungodly, that is not about the true God, do not receive that person. Do not greet that person. Do not take them in. Do not provide a meal. Do not send them on their way. Because if you do, you're actually participating in the act of spreading lies about the one true God. It doesn't doesn't mean be rude. It doesn't mean slam the door in their face. Man, Talk to people, challenge them on their beliefs, confront them with the truth of Scripture. That's fine. But he says, but, but don't bless them because what they're doing is not what God wants for lives, okay? So just wanted to clarify that. And then one other thing uh, to look at uh, real quickly in, uh, in 3 John. I wrote to the church about this, but Diotrephes, who loves to be the leader, refuses to have anything to do with us. And when I come, I report some of the things he is doing and the evil accusations he is making against us. Not only does he refuse to welcome the traveling teachers, those that are actually out there bringing the truth, he also tells others not to do, help them. And when they do help them, he puts them out of the church. Dear friend, don't let this bad example influence you. Follow only what is good. Remember, those who do good prove That's what we're talking about, this idea, this evidence. Prove that they are God's children, and those who do evil prove that they do not know God. Now, I don't know for sure, but it sounds like John is strongly suggesting that Diotrephes is not really a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, he's clearly in the church. I mean, he's like the head kahuna, it sounds. I mean, he's putting people out. He's throwing them out because they're helping somebody out. He says, no, you're not helping them. Maybe he didn't like them spending money on that. He wanted the money to go into the treasury of the church. I don't know what the reason was, but here's the point. Love doesn't mean that you don't confront something that's, that's wrong. Love, in fact, it is the loving thing to do. It is the loving thing for the body, and it's the loving thing even for diatrophies to be able to confront him and say, listen, dude, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's time you stepped up and started acting like because the way you're acting right now is not a follower of Jesus Christ. That's not how followers act. That's not what love looks like. So love, walking in this love, walking, loving through it doesn't mean that there's not a place to confront. Sometimes there is a place to confront. Now, when, when we talk about walking in truth, loving through truth, here's what I want to say and we'll close. If I know Christ is my Savior, man, I, I ought to want to do it just because I want to bring glory to God, and hopefully I do, and because I want to see His kingdom expand, because I do. I, I want to see uh, God's work, you know, so I, so I ought to want to do it just for those reasons alone. I want to glorify God, I want to please Him, and in some way, in some small way, I want to, be, I want to thank Him for what He's done for me. So, so to, to love the way He says to love, to walk in His truth, th- that's the very least I can do. Certainly that ought to be motivation. But isn't it interesting 
that John gives us another, John writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us another motivation. Did you catch it when we read it a while ago in Second John in verse 8? Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked so hard to achieve. John says, man, we've come so far. You've grown so much in your walk with Christ. And now some people are coming along and trying to tell you something else. Be diligent so that you receive your what? Full reward. I, I will confess to you, I have no idea what the rewards of heaven will look like. I, I don't know what that means. But I know that God says several places in his word that he desires to reward us in eternity. Sometimes I've had people say, well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't care about the reward. I, I, don't, I don't do it for the reward. Well, God apparently cares about the reward, so maybe we should. God apparently cares that, that he wants to give us something that we would say, wow, God, you, that, that little thing I did? And I say, yes, my child, that little thing you did in my name. When you walked in my name, when you loved in my name, in this uh, brief life that we have, and that's really what it is. I mean, in the whole scheme of things, in this nanosecond of existence that we have, in, in the scheme of eternity, this brief time that we have, when all is said and done, what will matter is what we've done with the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. No one has to wonder about their relationship with God. The Word of God tells us the truth about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And as you heard in today's message, walking in truth and loving through truth are a big part of what it means to call ourselves followers of Jesus. Because God loves us, He makes clear what truth is and why it is so important for our lives. As Pastor Clay reminded us today, when all is said and done, it's all about God's truth. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed.
Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.